everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 14, Desktop Linux at Work, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Today we're going to take a look at bringing Linux to work with you. Sort of like take your daughter to work day, only it's take Linux to work day. Uh, most of our uh, focus in the past has been on uh, Linux at home. What happens if you want to try to bring it into the work uh, workplace? Is it ready? Can it be there? Uh, does it work? Let's talk about a, a little bit about it. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to have our regular... Um, trio of hosts minus one so uh mr chris neves will be joining us today say hello chris hello everyone and uh mr aaron butler our noob in residence is with us hi aaron hello and uh, seth anderson will not be with us for the next uh, couple of weeks he's had some uh, uh medical issues in the family that he's got to deal with uh what he told told me was everything's okay but so, you know, I don't really know what that means. Everything's okay, but I can't be there. Uh, but Usually means so, you can't sit down because you got to. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, but he'll, he'll be missing the, the next couple of episodes, but uh, we uh, wish uh, him and his family well, and uh, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, this first note in the warm-up, it was his, so we're going to skip over it, but it sounds like a good one that we'll come back to later. So, I'm just going to talk about the fact that tomorrow, for me, is the first day of school. It'll be a couple of days ago by the time this airs. Um, and what that means is that our students are back. Um, our staff came back last week. Students are coming back tomorrow, which means I haven't slept much, and I've been putting in lots of long hours uh, this week. And, uh, Chris, are you in the same boat? Getting ready to. Um, I still have a week before school starts, but the teacher, the early achieving teachers are already back and clamoring for things to be working. So, yeah, I'll be in your shoes hearing about three days yeah so what happens is you work all summer trying to get things done and when you get to that last little bit there those th few things that you just need to punch through that's when the teachers get there and start demanding your attention so that you can't do them or or, or they drop a bomb in your lap and we want a service set up before it's ready right that happens a lot i had a, a teacher uh well, it happens often, but just uh, uh, last week, for example, a teacher came in and said, uh, uh, my computer doesn't work. And I said, you're right. And she said, when will it work? I said, the day you're supposed to be here. And until then, it's mine. Yep, that's how it works. Generally, I'm not in favor of being territorial about net, uh, stuff, but, you know, those 10 weeks in the summer, all I get, don't take, don't take even 10 minutes of them away from me. That's right. Aaron, what's going on in your life this week? Well, this Not week, being an educational person. Yeah, we actually are. Uh, you know, I'm in IT healthcare, uh, and we are embarking on a, without going into too much detail and wasting too much of our listeners' time, a incredibly gigantic, huge, expensive, uh, enterprise-changing, culture-changing software shift. Um, it'd be the equivalent of. Okay, we all have Macs. We're all switching to Windows, and there's five thousand of us. Uh, it's, Ouch. it's not not quite. It's not that's not what we're doing, um, but it's a similar idea. We're we are uh, about a eighty five hundred or nine thousand person healthcare system spread over five hospitals and around a hundred offices all over the state of Georgia, up into North Carolina, and we currently use around 180 main applications to provide billing and financial and uh, electronic medical record and health HR services and legal and everything else all across this big enterprise. And we're going to, we're implementing two applications that will replace about 80% of all of those. Now, generally in education, when that happens, it's because some really good salesman cornered the superintendent in an elevator and talked him into something, and then the entire system changes. Is that how it works in, in hospital systems, too? No. Um, that usually happens on a single provider level, where we get a call, we get a ticket in the help desk system, and it makes it through the, you know, and finally gets to, to my department or whatever. And the question is from the help desk is, who supports application A? And we say, we've never heard of application A. And you find out the physician bought application A from some guy and stuck it on his computer in his office. And, and now it suddenly won't integrate with <laughs> the other, yeah, the, all the other things in the entire system. And forget the fact that we already have three other applications installed and supported that will do the exact same thing five times better. But yeah, that's when we get that kind of thing. This is a, 
this is driven partially by not to go too deep into it, but partially by um, ARRA, the American Reinvestment Recovery Act. Uh, there's monies that have been allocated for they call it the meaningful use of electronic medical records, and you're to be able to qualify for that money, which is a big chunk of change. Uh, your application has to be certified. Some of our applications aren't. Some are. Some will require major upgrades to get them certified. Um, and then there's also a, a second part of it, which is even a bigger issue, which is this. If if you're a patient at a physician office and you come in every six months and you have your checkup and what have you, and then you go to one of our hospitals, that hospital can't see your chart unless the doctor that sees you there happens to have be one of the ones that's associated with the physician office because mm. it's not the same system. Right. And if you go to our hospital in Jasper and you get hurt and while you're down visiting in Fayetteville, they can't see your chart because it's not the same system. And so we have, you know, 3 million patients in our system in different systems. And so there's just a big, uh, you know, quality of care initiative to try to get that single chart for everybody. Now, this this is off topic. But not terribly so, because often the uh, uh, Linux crowd tends to be the tinfoil hat privacy crowd, too. So I think they'll be interested in this discussion. Um, from someone within the medical field, what do you think of the whole uh, privacy, re- incredibly restrictive privacy like uh, HIPAA mm-hmm. versus the medical electronic uh, chart thing? How, how do those two things coincide with each other? Well, there's a whole... HIPAA has a whole section about electronic medical records. There's all kinds of guidelines we have to follow. There's all kinds of restrictions on what you can and can't do. We do audits on everything. Everything has to have an audit trail. We have independent auditors that come in to make sure our audit trails are good. Um, there's all kinds of – we have you know, third-party people doing penetration tests on our systems. Um, it's, it's serious. And if you violate it, you get written up. And if you get written up more than once, you get fired. And it's – I mean, they take it seriously. Wow. So, um, you know, I have access to every single chart – in our entire database, unequivocally, I mean, I have, I'm about at high level of users you can get. I can get to it at the, at the database level, um, but I'm actually not allowed to look at anybody's chart that I don't have a reason to look at. I can't look at my own chart ever unless it is required specifically by my job or anybody that I know. Uh, it's, I mean, there's all kinds of deals about that. Just a quick story. Hmm. I, you know, I've got three daughters. When the last one was born... Took my wife to the hospital, dropped her off at the curb, went and packed, then went and uh, excuse me, went and parked, and then unpacked the van and and took all the uh, um, luggage and stuff that we had brought with us up there. Went into the uh, nurses the, the front area and asked the nurse, uh, "I need to know where my wife is." We can't tell you that. I'm sorry. I just dropped her off like five seconds ago. Um, we can't confirm that she's here, sir. So I know she's here. I brought her here. I <laughs> dropped her on this curb just a few seconds ago. I just need to know what room she's in. I'm sorry, sir. We can't tell you that. So I was literally walking around the, the hospital from room to room until I found her because they yeah, couldn't that, tell me anything. Well, actually, to be honest with you, that person was trying to obey the guidelines set forth in HIPAA, but they were actually doing it wrong. Doing it very badly. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you call the hospital and you you can be put, and this is again way off the subject, but um, you can you can set guidelines like when somebody calls, they can request my number. My you can let me back up. The, the, in the simplest uh, form of it, you can ask to be excluded from the registration from the registry. That's all the information they're supposed to give out. They're not supposed to ever give out any medical information. But if if you're in the hospital, Mark, and you haven't asked to be excluded from the uh, from the registry. I can call and say, can you please connect me to Mark Cockrell's room? And they can say yes. Or can you give me Mark Cockrell's room number? And they can say yes. But I can't call and say, did Mark have his leg cut off? Even though they may have that on the screen in front of them, they have right. to say, I can either confirm or deny the rumors that Mark's leg was cut off. They have to just say, I can connect you to his room. But if they ask to be excluded, if you ask to be excluded from the registry, then they can't say you're there or not there. They just right. have to deny They, you know. But, you know, it's interesting. I think probably what it is, there is a, um, a regional or, or federal rules, and then there's probably regional rules, and then probably just to be safe, the local hospital has local rules that far supersede everything else. Yeah, right. That way they, they can't possibly go wrong and, and get sued by the government. Well, it is possible. 
it is the maximum individual fine is $250,000 for a violation. Now, if I remember right, that would be like Mark deciding that he was mad at Piedmont, like I work at Piedmont, and I download everybody's records and took them with me and emailed everybody at Piedmont and said, Piedmont sucks. You know, that's the kind of violation that would get you a $250,000 fine, plus probably a lawsuit from, from the company you work for. Uh, most of the time, you just get chastised if it's incidental and not intentional. Right. Um, but it, they do work it. I mean, those HIPAA police, you got to watch out for them. <laughs> okay, so enough about that. Um, how many <laughs> of those systems run on Linux, Aaron? Actually, a lot of our – we have quite a few Unix servers. Right. Uh, and the the big system that we're putting in runs on an uh, a Unix flavored. Are you, are you familiar with Cache database? No. It's a it's a proprietary. No. Very. It's not used real often. Um, it's based on AIX uh, architecture, um, and that's what that's what Epic is going to be running on, which is the the big EHR financial billing thing that we're putting in. So my point for asking that question is that. Wherever you work, whatever you do, even if you work at the gas station uh, handing out Slurpees, the odds are there is Linux in your workplace already. It's embedded in the automatic gas pump. It's uh, in your server room. It's what your website is running on. But Linux is not on the desktop. Um, a lot of people have Linux in their pocket and don't know it. That's true. Right. <laughs> if you've got an Android phone, you've got Linux in your pocket. Um, it's hiding or, everywhere. Or on your belt, depending on which way you roll. <laughs> if you're a clipper or uh, or a pocketer. I prefer the the belt clip, personally. So, you know, it's like boxers and briefs, pocket yeah. or belt clip. I'm a belt clip yeah. guy. So, or none at all. <laughs> you have no phone? Is that what you're saying? Nope. Or you don't wear underwear? No cell phone. No cell phone. Okay. That's what he's saying. Please let me know. But uh, you, you never know what the actual answer is to that last one. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> HIPAA regulations require that I take the fifth. Uh, so why isn't, Chris, uh, why, why do you think Linux hasn't made its way to the, the enterprise desktop yet? Um, well, I would say there's probably a couple of reasons. One would be um, a lot of administrator, network administrators like to use group policies and you know most of the time linux and group policies don't hold water very well together and why there's a that's a good question uh as far as i know and maybe you can correct me there really isn't a group policy like equivalent in the linux world they they just don't want centralized control over individual desktops um and i understand the only the exception whole thing right yeah that's the main thing. The only exception to that would be the Novell and their uh, their paid version of their software. They have a group policy esque type thing, uh, but since I've never actually owned a licensed Novell system, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other for sure on that. But I know they do they do talk about it as a built into Yast. So there is it it does exist, but unless you're stuck with Novell you probably won't know anything about it. And so maybe the the number one thing uh, about getting Linux in the enterprise desktop is fitting in with the Active Directory uh, structure or uh, to a much later, uh, lesser degree, the Novell structure. Uh, what do they call that? Something about trees and forests or something. I, I don't remember. Right. Uh, I'm not a Novell guy. Uh, when I started the job I was on, uh, I'm at now, uh, almost 15 years ago, they had two uh, Novell server version 2.0 systems running on on uh, this was like a console. It wasn't even a graphical user interface on a on a green monochrome monitor. Uh, so that's my only experience with Novell. Is that very very old system, uh, and we moved uh, uh, to Windows for a lot of reasons. Primarily because it's easier for an administrator uh, to do things. As much of a Linux guy as I am. I work in a Windows world, and I have Windows all over my school uh, system, 800-plus desktops, uh, because yep. it's manageable, and it's uniform, and it's easy. Um, so how can we make Linux as easy and manageable, or can we? Well, when it comes to the policies, I don't think there's you're, – you're kind of floating there without much help. Uh, there are a few tools out there that you can – edit a config file and blast it out to everybody 
Um, I, those tools escape me at the moment, but maybe I'll pull them up later. Uh, I know there's ways to get Linux into the Active Directory, um, so you get your single sign-ons. Um, there's a couple of different places. One is uh, likewise has a has a paid and, and free version of software that will tie your Linux machine into Active Directory. Uh, but there again, all you're getting is your single sign-ons. You're not getting policy control. Right, and that's really uh, you get. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you get access to stored printers and and things of that nature, and and you get to use your AD password on a Linux thing. But um, they really are second class citizens. Uh, they're yeah. they are there. They exist. There's no management. But that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. Huh. So I mean, it, it's nice if you're like an administrator because you can use Linux then and still keep your single sign-ons which then allows you to access all the network shares, but I don't see it going on like a, a you know, user's desk somewhere as far as that goes. Um, and I was going to bring up the idea that, you know, you could use Likewise and have, I personally have had a 50-50 shot with Likewise. Um, I agree. Sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've found more help when it comes to just editing the Samba files directly. And I have a link in the show notes for that. Um, and it's it's really geek heavy <laughs> if you look at it up, if you pull it up. Um, but it will walk you right through, you know, what to edit here, what to edit there. Um, yeah, and I, I'm sure you guys are looking at it right now. And there's a lot of things that if you don't know what goes there, uh, then you're kind of stuck. Yeah, and I use my old friend that that uh, Chris hates, uh, uh, Webmin for that. Webmin makes it really easy to join a machine to a domain. It's all web based, and you simply enter your credentials, and and it does all it for you. I think it's easier and more effective in my experience uh, than the likewise open thing. Uh, it just it just works. You put in your do- domain thing, and 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 it works. But all that gets you is access to your network stuff, and so that's a little yep. annoying. Uh, printers. Wow, do we really want to go down the printers thing? I think we have to, to be honest with our audience. Yeah. Uh, no, before you, before you go down there, um, back to the management side of. No, I know I'm sorry, we're, we're done there. with that. Um, Are we? Can't do that. <laughs> oh man, well this is not this is only slightly related. <laughs> if you go to your doctor's office, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not going that far back. You know, uh, in Microsoft and Windows world, they what's it called? It's not SAS. Um, where you push out. Not policies, but you can push out installs over MSIs. And, right. Well, you, it's installs. an MSI. It's right. an install file, but there's a there's an enterprise. Is, is it SAS? Is that what it's called? SSAS. I don't SAS. Know. I it, use it, fog. Soft, <laughs> software. Yeah, that, that was my question. Um, in in the in the Windows world, there is an application that they use, like in our corporate environment. When they decided that Firefox and Chrome were no nos, they used this application to uninstall it across the enterprise. And likewise, not likewise, the application we're talking about, but likewise, the English word, um, whenever we needed to all have the newest broken version of Adobe, they push it up with that, push it all out with that. Is I know you can do that with Fog, Mark. Obviously, you've talked about Fog quite a bit on Tightwad Tech. Can you, will Fog work on Linux and Windows? Can, so can you use Fog for Linux for that purpose? As far as I know, there is no tool to do that in Linux. There is no tool to force software on down to the desktop. Okay. Except in that Novell situation. In that Novell management console, you can push packages down. Right. That's a very specific situation uh, where yeah. you have to have their enterprise, their paid-for servers, and their paid-for desktop, and then you can right. do it. Yeah, and that with that Novell system, you then end up in the same line as the Active Director and Group Policies. You have the same tools. They're called different, but they're the same tools. Right. So, so even if you get that computer joined to your domain uh, using web ad, webmin or uh, likewise open, you still can't even to the, even to the simple level of just pushing out an application to everybody. You can't do that. No. No. You, I guess you can email a link to them. <laughs> right, and you can uh, you can say click this, but the yeah. odds are they won't have pseudo access to be able to install yep. software anyway. Right. You'd want them to have Because you don't want users to have pseudo anyway. <laughs> right. So you were saying but printers. Well, uh, printers, hardware in general, 
um, is spotty. The corporate hardware, let me put it this way. Uh, the Linux guys have really worked on um, home hardware, and they really pretty well got that down now. But but enterprise hardware, uh, big laser printers and uh, 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 multi-user uh, storage and things like that, it's pretty difficult to get that stuff all up and running uh, on Linux, even even the ones that are customized for the enterprise, like uh, like SUSE. Um, you And again, you have to do it on the individual basis. Um, like, for example, in Windows, you can set up a printer server that shares out all your printers, and anybody, anywhere, at any computer can simply browse to that printer and double-click the that server and double-click the printer they want, and it's installed. Some... Linuses let you do that. Most don't. And then even if you did, if you're do, doing it on the Windows world, the odds are you're going to run into some credential issues or the administrator oh. would have to, ahead of time, have thought to put the right Linux drivers on the server. Um, it's it's a, it's a point of frustration for me uh, trying to get Linux into the desktop. Uh, yeah, onto the desktop in my schools because uh, it, the simple, basic things, it can't do. And you yeah. do have some Linux... Machines running, but do you just use them as like terminal servers, Mark? Is that what you did? For the most part, we have a couple of, uh, well, have had, actually, currently, we don't have any Linux desktop labs. We have, in the past, had a couple of Linux desktop labs, and I had to uh, go to great lengths to pre-configure them. Uh, just like you do in Windows, where you have your default user, you can set up what's called a, a skeleton user uh, in, in Windows, uh, or excuse me, in Linux, and everybody who logs in gets all those settings. So you have to go, go through a lot of hoops to set them up initially so that they already work with what you have but i have right. done that but you were far enough to quit doing that as soon as you could well it just <laughs> the, 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 the overhead yeah there wasn't a lot of reason to it's uh well it's one of the things i've said a lot of times um moving between windows and linux now is sort of a lateral move you don't gain anything either way you don't get a lot when you move to windows from linux you don't get a lot when you move to linux from windows so it's almost not worth the effort to do something when you're not going to get much benefit of it. Right. Right. And I'm a Linux lover and listen to me talk. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's the idea of intellectual honesty that I've always wanted to have on all of our shows. This is a Linux show, but we need to talk about where it is broken too. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem. I have found that, you know, if uh, you don't mind installing proprietary stuff, the, uh, if you're in HP shop, you know, where you, all your printers are HP, HP has a, uh, a tool that you install that does a lot of the HP printing for you and has pretty much every printer I've ever seen in that tool. If yep. it's an HP printer. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. If yes. you're in HP environment, um, which my school is because we have a certified HP repair shop like half a mile away from the high school. We, so <clears throat> We tend to use whatever uh, is is the best and the cheapest at the time, and, and manufacturers tend to leapfrog each other. What I buy today would not be what I'd buy six months from now, uh, but right now we're standardized on Lexmark uh, network laser printers, which are awesome and have great Linux support, but it's not uh, something that you can do easily. It's something you have to do. You go to every system and you set it up because there's no centralized way to do it. Wow. Any other it's, thoughts it's on that? It it's well. It's it's a nightmare in general for trying to set up a mass deployment of printers, e right. even in the Windows world. Um, unless you're, we're well, like except for in my high school right now, we have everyone set on a print server, and then I group policy everything through. Um, but uh, it's still a nightmare to manage printers. Right now, if the printer is plugged into the local machine. Linux can do a great job of auto-recognizing and auto-configuring that. If you've got a USB cable going from your uh, computer to your printer, um, that is seamless, in my experience, 90-plus percent of the time, and the other 10%, it takes a little bit of minor tweaking. But it's just over the network where that gets difficult. Yeah, it gets lost is what it feels like. And, and you know, you mentioned, you put a link uh, there in the notes to Samba files. Uh, the two things that we've mentioned, Webmin and, and uh, Likewise Open and anything else out there, they're just Samba configuration. That, the Samba is the thing that does it all. And, yep. and, um, and for those who don't know what Samba is, uh, Windows... Ooh, ooh, me. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Windows uh, communicates using SMB, server message blocks. So this uh, that's a play on SMB. You added a couple A's. It's a Samba. And what the Samba team have done, if they set up a Windows server and they've set up a Windows client and they've set up a packet sniffer in between and said, when I request a file, the client does this and the server does this. All right, we're going to build our software so that it mimics that behavior. Oh. And so they're and always. And they've done a really darn good job doing it, too. They have. They've done an awesome job, but they're always several generations behind and never as good because they're reverse engineering something instead of having access to uh, the root code. So Samba, yep. as good as it is, is never anywhere close to as good as Windows. Right. And that's true if, you, if you're using a Mac, too. Mac uses Samba to communicate yep. on the network as well. And it's getting better, though. Um, I was really shocked. Uh, this, my current laptop with, and my desktop with KDE are both running the newest version of Samba. And once I put the correct, once I put the credentials in correctly in my Samba file, um, I've been able to touch everything. Um, I haven't had I haven't had one hiccup for network shares at all. I had, so a, had a funny thing happen with that uh, just this week. My high school counselor, who has a Mac, said, I'm trying to install this network printer, uh, and it's asking me for credentials. What do I do? I said, you put in our domain name, a backward slash, that's the one that goes from the top left to the bottom right, your username, and then you put in your regular password in the password field. And this was all over text, by the way, not a phone. So I, I typed out exactly what she needed to do. She wrote me back and said that didn't work. A few minutes later, said, I got it. I entered my domain name slash username in the username field and then put my password in, and then it worked. <laughs> and I wrote back, isn't that exactly what I just told you to do? And she said, oh, I didn't read that right. <laughs> <laughs> but that goes to what Chris was saying. You've got to set it up. You've got to do it just right. And there's there's often uh, an exact set of ways to enter to your credentials that isn't documented anywhere. Or is poorly documented. Well, oh yeah, it's poorly documented. Or you never know if you need the like a lot of my schools. If you don't have the dot local after the domain name, you forget it. Um, or I've had a couple of um, a couple of my Linux servers that I had to use the at symbol, so it'd be username at dchs dot local. Right. And if I didn't do it that way, it wouldn't connect. So because yeah, if you're it, configuring, for example, a PHP file, that backslash interferes with the code so then you got to use two backslashes to escape it yep. <laughs> so you never know exactly which one you need yeah it, it's a nightmare um it's getting better uh but it's still the biggest one of the biggest uh stops for getting linux on the enterprise desktop i agree and it's not just printers uh there are other things here let's go ahead and launch into some of that i didn't i didn't intend for this to be a bash episode but that's what it's turning into hopefully we can offer some helps uh um but it's kind of turning into a why Linux sucks episode sorry about that uh, <laughs> another is browsers uh like aaron for example you said in your uh domain uh -huh. it's it's ie only um yep. i'm sure there were good reasons for that i can't think of one of them off the top of my head but i'm sure there were good reasons for that um in that situation running linux on your desktop would almost be a non-issue i mean uh, uh, impossible because to get when and we talked about it i think a couple of episodes ago to get ie to work at all on a linux machine is difficult and then it doesn't work well and really you just kind of have to go with uh, a virtual machine and, right yep. and then then you've got your whole different set of issues there then you're no longer running linux are you interested in knowing why or is that too much of a sidebar um sure i i, I am always interested in knowing why people actually choose to use that piece of crap this is the, <laughs> this is the official official party line um the people who manage the software the enterprise software like ie and and operating systems and adobe and things like that basically IE is not quote unquote. I mean, anything but IE is not approved. Therefore, it's not managed. Therefore, it's not patched. Therefore, it's not addressed with any kind of security issues that comes out. And they can't depend on, you know, however many hundreds of users were using Firefox and/or Chrome to keep up with the security patches and stuff themselves. A lot of the users don't have admin rights, so that sometimes they can't install things. Maybe they installed Firefox three years ago when they had admin rights. Now they can't install a new application on their own. I don't know, but it was really the funniest part was that they pulled it 
one day, and the next day they published one of our applications that IT the IT department itself has to use in a Citrix published app version of Firefox because it ran so bad in IE. Nice. So the, wow. they pulled it one day, and the next day they published uh, Citrix published app of Firefox. And it's only you can't go anywhere else in that Firefox if you launch right. it and you try to pull up another tab. It just so Firefox is not supported on your desktop, but it's okay on our servers. Yes, because they will be responsible right. to keep the 145 thin servers patched. And honestly, that's a valid argument. It really is. Yeah. Uh, in a in a situation where your users can't update even if they wanted to, yeah, um, that makes sense that you would uh, do something uh, different. However. As as any good Windows IT guy will know, will will be able to tell you there are ways to manage um, every app on your desktop just like you manage IE. You can keep Firefox updated um, remotely. You don't necessarily yeah. have to do it. I mean, the, I don't know. And why I think, they I think it's just IE. a matter. I think it's a matter of uh, of to, to use the uh, a phrase that's being used around our office a lot now that drives me crazy. It's a matter of the bandwidth. They just they just don't have an. We're understaffed with all the things we're trying to do right now. So to add another thing for those people right. to try to keep up with, it was easier just to yank it and tell everybody to deal with it. Well, while we're talking about that, um, I think the last time we were together, as I've mentioned before, we record every uh, two weeks, record two episodes. I think the last time we were here, I had just installed Firefox uh, 4 at, at work. And now, just the other day, I installed Firefox 7. Those guys are going crazy with updates, um, and I would hate for the to, have to be up, the IT guy that does that. Are we up to seven now? Seven. The last one I seen was six yesterday or, or Friday afternoon, just a couple of days ago. Uh, my machine said it's time to go to seven. Just want to mention wow. right now that that my wife is sad, and I'm saying that because while we're recording this, the Dallas Cowboys are playing the San Diego Chargers, and I have a really cool Android app called Mighty Text that plugs into my Chrome browser, and will actually will send and receive text messages through my Google, uh, through my Android phone account, and I'm getting my NFL updates, and <laughs> San Diego's winning 10 to nothing. So basically what Go you're San saying Diego. Is, is the San Diego third-string team is better than the Cowboys' third-string team. Right. Yeah. Preseason means nothing. It doesn't. I know. Speaking of browser incompatibilities, <laughs> here's an interesting one. Thank Chrome you, does not work on my machine. On any of my Linux boxes right now, Chrome or Chromium, both. Wow, what's the issue? Isn't that? I'm not sure. No matter what I've done, and these are stock installs from the repositories. And what happens is, is every time I launch a tab or launch Chrome or Chromium, you get that f sad face folder saying that, "Oops, this has crashed." Or uh, what does it say? "Oops, I'm sorry, Jim is dead," or, or something. Yeah. Every time, no matter what I do. So I was using Chrome or Chromium and loved it, but since it's not stable anymore in my KDE environment, I can't use it. And I think symptoms like that are going to become more prominent as uh, these uh, applications are in a rush to rev themselves. It seems like it's become a badge of honor. Uh, you know, we pushed for uh, six new version revs in the last eight months. Um, yeah, that's not necessarily a good thing, but Chrome has always done that. I mean, if you look at, uh, yeah. they just don't tell you about it. In fact, uh, that's a, a little news blurb. Firefox says that I think with version seven or eight, I'm not sure which, eight should be out by tomorrow morning, um, <laughs> that uh, they're going to stop telling you what version it is. It's not going to be in the help about. You won't even know. You'll have to go to uh, the about.config to find out what version you're running. Wow. Wonder why. I think because their point is it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, you yeah. have Firefox, and that's all that matters. Um, but well, and as long as it's staying up to date in the background, that's all that really matters anyway. Well, I don't agree with that because the reason I didn't move to seven is because three of my favorite uh, plugins don't work with seven. So if it's going to start doing this automatically and not even tell me what version I have, how can I know if it's compatible with my plugins? Right. Well, that's my favorite thing to do, Mark, is to to launch Firefox and then it tell me that three of the, my five favorite things that I do with Firefox no longer work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, this thing that... I, see, I guess... I can't find the plugin for your version. Right. Oops. I guess I, I don't use that many plugins or, or add-ons that I guess I don't really notice it. Yeah. I don't either I anymore. I have four. But the third time that happened, I quit. Right. I just don't upgrade. And so even, then you've got a base of people out there who are using your old version uh, stubbornly. 
right? And so mm-hmm. now you're like, well, I'm not going to update that no matter what. They could be version yeah. 57 and I'm not going to use it. That's bad. <laughs> and, and then you have, then there, there's your security issue right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I, I just quit using PowerBlocks after about the second or third time because I, I love the plugins that, yeah, they're great. But after the second or third time that it, though I had went and found the, the newer version with a different name and plugged it in, I was like, forget it. So I, I'm just, I'm pretty much a Chrome guy unless I run into that one percent of a website that chrome won't run right okay so the next thing on our list uh now that we've talked about browser compatible and there's really no answer to that um if if you have to use ie you can't use linux yep pretty much i mean is that is that a fair statement i would say so and even if you have to use a a, uh ie based technology like say net or silverlight you're still kind of left out in the cold Right, and if you if you want to easily manage your printers, you can't use Linux, and right. if you want to push applications down over the network, you can't use Linux. Right, so all these things that IT guys want to do. By the way, if you want to be a, a corporate IT guy, you can't use Linux on the desktop. Right, but so, I mean, it's me, all it over like, the server rooms. They just need to catch up. It sounds like to me though, it's it's a classic case of small, medium, large. I mean, Linux is great for that lawyer's office that has five PCs and they happen to have one guy that's pretty computer technologically savvy, but they're using a bunch of old machines. They don't have license necessarily. They don't want to go buy Windows 7 licenses. And and so why not? Just, you know, they need extra computer for the intern. There's there's no management. There is no enterprise. There's probably not even a domain. Right. But you start getting that kind of level. Once you you add the domain and go and talking about really managing things remotely, it sounds like to this noob that you just can't really go there yet. Unless you're ready ready to go thin client, I think Linux does thin client better than Windows. Um, and then yeah. you do have one server that you configure and a hundred thousand users if it's a big enough server or server cluster of servers really. But they you you treat them as though they're one, uh, which is kind of nice from a, even if it's like a hundred servers, you can interface them with one one interface. You can interact with them and then they replicate each other out. Um, I think in that situation. Linux beats the pants off of, of Windows uh, terminal services uh, because terminal services is really a glorified VNC. It just gives you screen clicks and whatever, and the local machine re- still has to do all the work, all the processing power and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, on the Linux side, the server does all the work. The client can be a 386 with, with 32 megs of RAM, um, but you need a much bigger server or cluster of servers. So it's it's a, you know... Uh, a give and take. If you, I would say, if you're going to build from the ground up for Linux or Unix, um, you can do that and and really run a successful multinational corporation. But you'd have to plan it from the ground up. Yeah, I would agree with that. But, but now I wonder about like I've seen some other technologies like No Machine and well, what's that other one? Spice. I've heard of the that name one. of it. And FreeNX is another one. Yeah. Well, FreeNX is No Machine. It's oh, their right. free client. That's right. So. Um, I've used no machine and been really shocked with how good it performs, but I have not seen, I've seen screen caps of, of spice and that one really made me stand up and go, Hmm, because I was seeing, um, HD video on a thin client, you know, and it was almost no hiccup. I, I gave, um, no machine a try and it's too, it was too complicated for me, um, to, to grok, Quickly, it was it was clearly going to be something that I was going to have to to train myself on and spend a lot of time and effort on. It's one of those things that probably would have been worth the effort had I stuck with it, but given my current workload, my bandwidth to use a term that Eric <laughs> with, um, I, I just couldn't handle it. At least you didn't. You um, she didn't socialize it. That's another one. <laughs> we really need to socialize this idea. Blah blah blah. That's another one that's kind of in in vogue right now. I really liked No Machine for the fact that it it was uh, it would click, you know, with the one client it would touch most. I mean, RDP and VNC and SSH and everything else, and do its own No Machine thing, which was it's like SSH and VNC mashed together, so it was right. encrypted all the way through, which was really nice. And for being encrypted, I didn't see any overhead at all, and I'm going over you know, out in the sticks type bandwidth. Yeah, I've heard that uh, it, it'll work as low as 48K bandwidth, like dial-up yeah. style bandwidth. Uh, yeah, it was. I was impressed with that. Well, Mark, I, and I have a kind of a quite 
I don't know what, what the right word is, not an exception or a question, but, you know, your characterization of terminal services doesn't really seem to be my experience with it. You know, it's, it's, uh, for us at least, maybe it's because we're running Citrix. I mean, I use regular terminal services all the time too, just straight up out of the box terminal services without Citrix overlay is more like what you're talking about where you can take an old 386 box and run whatever you want to run as long well, as the server run it. it. Is it just it saying that over, does it better? It was an oversimplification to make a point. Um, the, what the, Citrix, notwithstanding, Citrix does a better job than built-in Windows de- uh, thin client. Okay. Uh, so terminal server, if we're talking about the Windows terminal server, you have to have Windows underneath it. So first you have a, have to fu- have a full OS, then you can connect to your network. Um, or you have to have a you have to have some thin device. If right, you're running which, on a PC, yeah, I understand. What which you're is running an OS. Yeah. Uh, the way Linux does it, there is no well, there there is a very minimal, uh, basically just kind of a, ma- a memory and uh, hardware manager on the client. Uh, and that's and, and that's everything the, else uh, happens on the server. On the in the Windows world, you know, we have all versions of that, all all flavors. We have we have the Windows. Um, CE, which is um, embedded Windows. Yeah, embedded Windows on a thin device. We have some old, uh, we still have some old Wise terminals actually running, also in some places that just haven't got updated yet. And then we have lots of fat clients. I mean, full PCs running published apps on Citrix, and pub- some of them are actually running published desktops as well. We use the published desktop a lot more on on full laptop hardware. Right, but see, in in Linux terminal services, you need a network card and a monitor, and that's it. You don't need any hard drive. You don't need any um, – uh, you need just enough RAM to load the kernel from the network. It actually pulls the entire OS over PXE. Oh, okay. So, so there is no underlying uh, thin gotcha. client OS at all. Right, and that's yeah, – it's, that's, it's ultra I'm thin. sure that's, that's what they're using. Like cra- uh, Dallas has made a touchdown. Um, <laughs> that's what they're using. Uh, Jason Witten. Uh, Witten is my man. I want to have yeah. his babies, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes way beyond the man crush, everyone. Uh, <laughs> if they made an action figure <laughs> to, to throw back to our uh, hot route show. Yeah. Uh, what I was saying, though, is uh, I don't know now at that point. I, I can't even think <laughs> straight. Sorry. <laughs> My corporate closing just split down the middle. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the the whole idea of actually not even having to have it on the device. No hard drive, no right. operating system. Obviously, I see what you're saying now. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah, and and that again, that comes from my tightwad background. Um, when you look at the Windows thin client, the first step is get a client. You know, get an OS, then you can run our our no OS services. Um, wait a minute, I don't want an OS. I want to run a thin client. Well, sure, you can do that. Just get an OS first. Um, and you can either do that through these thin clients that you're talking about, specially made, or Windows embedded, or you can have a a, a fat client, or or what I call the chubby client, uh, which is somewhere in between thin and client. But step one in using terminal services is get an operating system. Right. And which, step step one in Linux thin client is plug in a network okay. card. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Get a Pixie boot. <laughs> yeah. If you can Pxe boot, you're good to go. So uh, moving right along, uh, what we're talking about things that don't work at all let's let's list some of the software that's not going to work right we just talked about ie uh but there's also lots of proprietary stuff out there if you're doing uh chris mentions autocad here um uh there i'm sure aaron none of your stuff is going to work on uh, a linux desktop at all uh, some of our stuff won't even work on windows 7 still you know yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah exactly and 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 that's just an issue of the the market isn't there yet. Nobody's writing to it because there's no reason to write to it. But yeah. when people start using it, there would be reason to write to it, but they can't use it until somebody starts writing to it. Mm-hmm. The whole chicken egg. Right. Chicken egg. So what you need is um, a chicken parmigiana, which is, you know, battered an egg, and then you've got it. You're, there you go. Sorry. Uh, can we think of a few other options uh, like that? And I, honestly, I can't think of many. They're going to be industry specific, I would imagine. Well, I know yeah. there's there's a uh, what's it called? Now, uh, now I'm trying to shake my new brutes off. 
Um, that sounds like a really that sounds like a new dance. <laughs> shaky, shaky new brutes. <laughs> shaky uh, new brutes. Um, well, if you're in a corporate environment, you're, they're going to want you to be running um, Outlook. Yeah, Exchange Outlook. That Exchange. Bit, yeah. And yeah. and yeah, sure, you can run it in a browser. <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> you know. Yeah. Actually, uh, Evolution and Thunderbird, and there are a couple other tools that do a Evolution good job of talking to uh, mm-hmm. an Exchange client, and the the server doesn't know that it's not ex- uh, an Outlook. Right. Uh, Evolution was the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah, actually you know, I'm using Evolution at work right now, um, and it's it's got a weird little hiccup, and I don't know what it exactly is, but it'll be working great, and then all of a sudden you'll get this weird little hiccup, and then all of a sudden all your text will be gibberish because it changed the uh, text encoding from uh, U what is it UMT hyphen eight to Unicode, and once it does that Unicode switch thing. You're you're stuck because it, you can't get it back. I think it's U F T eight. Yeah, you're, yeah, U F T or U T F. U T F. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Ask it to stand on his head and drink a cup of water. Maybe that'll uh, <laughs> get rid of <laughs> it. Boom, boom. Yeah, there's just those those kind of enterprise level. I mean, SharePoint. Um, you know, something we're kind of dabbling into now. Uh, I don't know. There's there's all kinds of things. We have content management systems built into, built into our intranet. I would expect that the applet that runs those probably wouldn't work on Linux. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, it's, it's most likely Java or Flash. It probably, I say maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, but, see, I I think as the the consumer world moves more to the cloud, uh, you know, to use another that'll help Linux, right? buzzword. Uh, that's where where the the client the local client doesn't matter so much. That's why the iPad or or right. whatever can can work so well at home. Um, do you think IT is going to move in that direction? I, I know a lot of people want it to. A lot of pundits say we should. But as a guy in the trenches, I honestly can't see that happening for a long while. Well, I think, you know, until the, the people really get the bandwidth to build the things out and begin to socialize it, it's not going to move to the cloud. <laughs> got to socialize your bandwidth. <sighs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, for us, what we're doing, putting things on the cloud becomes – uh, another level of security risk because we're talking health information. Um, not that, you know, everything, everybody doesn't want their information to be secure, but another level of security risk, another level of security risk in the sense that we have to have all these holes in our firewall to, for every computer on the network to be able to get out. Um, not that they can't get out to the same port, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, it's just more, more levels of, uh, of things to deal with. Just to give you an example uh, from my own life, uh, my school, as, as well as hundreds of thousands across the state, just moved to a new system called TXEIS that is that is all web-based. All right, The server is in, in my closet, but the only way to access it is through a browser. Uh, and that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Because before, it- if somebody wanted to hack our system, they had to have access to our software. They had to physically come to where we are and load this specific client. Right. Um, so, are you saying so you're you're hosting a web browser, web yes. server at your? So they're actually not connecting to it directly locally. They're still there, or they have, or they can have access to it over the internet. It is it is made available over the internet via standard HTTP. Um, I I wanted to do just uh, like a private ten dot address that's only available in house, and the system doesn't work that way. It has to right. have access to the full internet. Well, pretty much on our network, you have you have two levels. We have um, OWA, you know, Outlook Web Access published that you can get to. We have our health um, HR systems published through a HTTPS site, so that you can get on there and you know change your your withholding and that kind of stuff. And everything else, you have to uh, have you know three part identification: username, password, and a, and a uh, Token, token. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Whether whether type whether it's a, uh, um, whatever. We have two different brands, but yeah, you have to have, you know, know something, have something type thing, like they always say. Something you have, something you know. That's right. Yeah. Was was one of those uh, uh, RSA that just recently got hacked, and their master database is now uh, available. I do not believe so. Did you hear about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're the like the number one maker of those little uh, football dongle things. And right. uh, they let their master um, algorithm loose. Bad, bad thing. Uh, that's, that's a scary, bad. scary thing. 
So anyway, well, me, uh, what I was saying is is now um, all you need is a username and a password and the URL. And the URL is published on our website because that was to make it easier for people to find. Right. So you go to our website, you click on the URL, and now all you need is a username and password. Uh that scares me with the kind of information that we have um, about not just salary, but, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of personal information about all these students, where they live, what kind of medical conditions they have, what kind of discipline they've had in the past, what what kind of psychological issues that, I mean, our nursing. The, the That's nurse almost as much as on Facebook. In. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the software a nurse uses built into it, software a counselor's uses built into it, software that our finance, it's all one system, finance all the way down. Well, uh, and the and, thing is, too, that's the state of Texas. You know, other than California, New York, that would be if I was going to want to try to hack something like that. That would be a prime target, right? And it, it's, it's the biggest one. It's not centralized; it's per uh, per person. So that there is that. I mean, it's just per district. So if you hack my district, you don't get uh, uh, Houston ISD stuff. Cumby, uh, but still, um, it scares me that all you need now is a username and password, and that we right. had to make our password policy a lot more secure. Now you have to use a certain number of of unusual characters, and it's got to be a certain number, a certain length, and we change it often, uh, which I know Aaron disagrees with. Um, <laughs> but we had to make our password policy stronger. But still, all you need is a username and password. Where before you used to need a username, password, physical access to our network, and a specific proprietary client. Right. So speaking as an IT guy, moving things to the cloud is not a good thing, yeah. but it's happening yeah, anyway. I, I'm, well, I'm like in the same me. boat, Mark. Um, we're we're moving our district into something similar to that, um, and it scares the pants off me. And I actually had to go to my superintendent and tell them to uh, uh, we need to not push this out for day one of school, but say day thirty of school, because I want to beat on it for a couple of days, and then also call all my little friends yeah, that are hack uh, please hack me. Yeah, try and try and break in because we need to make sure this is rock solid. And I don't like the fact that, you know, we have some teachers that you that give their password to their kids for uh, their student aides, yeah. and that scares the crap out of me. Now, so just, Mark, if, if if I were to get a username and password, say I'm a student and I see the teacher's username and password sitting there on the desk, and I take it home and I log in, what access would I have? Would I be able to see teacher A, B, C, D's, all of their stuff, every student stuff? Or each is it, person has their own level of access. So, but the, but if, you know, so you're not going after your teacher when you're going after the business administrator or mine or the right. superintendents, those are the passwords you're going after. Uh, if you right. hack a teacher password, you're not going to see all that much. You're still going to see right. a lot more than you should. Um, but just well, here it is. It's 8 PM Sunday night. School starts 12 hours from now. And I just got an email with an update to that software. How right. scary is that? Ooh, that's wow. not good. <laughs> Well, and if it scares the pants off, Chris, based upon our warm-up discussion, that yeah. might be a bad thing. <laughs> We're not sure yet if it is or not. But you it, cannot confirm be, or deny. That might Please be a don't stand up. You can only want. see what the camera will let you. Right, don't stand up. Don't stand up. <laughs> Oh, I need man. I need those uh, that color pattern bar. You know, please yeah. stand by. Emergency. <laughs> Where's the pixelate button? Where's the pixelate button? <laughs> okay, so moving off of that, the the next thing that is probably going to be an issue in moving Linux to the office to work is sharing files. Um, yeah. And in particular, if we're talking about the Microsoft world, Microsoft doesn't share with itself. Try to open yeah. a Publisher 2007 document in Publisher 97, or even the other way around. Try to open yeah. Publisher 97 in Publisher 2010. You can't do it. Um, and so if Microsoft won't play nice with itself, they're sure as heck not going to play nice with anyone else. No. I mean, I still have yep. issues. It's so funny. I've got, I finally have 2010 installed Office on one of my PCs, but... I don't know whether it's because I had 07 on there before, but if I open an Excel file on that computer, the screen comes up, the main window where the tech, where the data is supposed to be is gray, and it just sits there. There's no, I'm working, there's no uh, there's no uh, progress bar, the, hour, the, the mouse isn't an hourglass, you can't tell it's doing anything. If I click on another application in the taskbar, click back, click over, click back, click over back, over back, then boom, there's all my data. <laughs> I don't know why it does that, I don't know. Has nothing. Jeez. I can't find a correlation to the size of the file. Um, I, I don't know. I just haven't had a chance to. Un I haven't had the bandwidth to uninstall it, reinstall it yet. So, uh, <laughs> did you socialize it? Yeah, I have. I've, I mentioned it. I yelled over the cubicle, over the offical, as I call it, because it's 
office light cubicle. But, uh, anyway. <clears throat> uh, now, the good news is the major things like Office, for example, uh, the Linux guys, in, in, in the same way that the Samba guys have gotten uh, really proactive about that, the Open Office team and those guys can, can really work with almost all uh, major Office, like the DOCX and the SLXX, um, so that you're going to be able to get your data. But your formatting, uh, that's a coin flip. You may or may uh, not get yeah. your formatting. Oh, you'll get some kind of formatting. <laughs> Yeah, there will be something. Well, and then and then there's also the the Google Docs people in the uh, oh, what's that other online Docs place too that is still so hit who? and miss for yeah, that's it. Um, they're still hit and miss for even uh, even that. So you know, I uploaded a docx from somebody to to share it out through our Google Docs system, and it was gibberish. Yeah. So it, it was totally broken. Wow. It. it- it depends on the complexity of the document, in my experience. Um, if yeah. it's simple, uh, it's fine with it. If they, if it's got to loop it through a couple of times, uh, you're you're not going to have it. Have it now. Luckily, most of those things will let you save as something else. Uh, but still, that's going to be an issue. And also, let's talk about the document you create to give to somebody. If you hand them a um, Oh, help me. I just blanked on the extension. The ODT? An ODT file yep. uh, for open office and say, here, open this. Microsoft does not know, nor does it care what that is. Uh, so you have to know. Uh, it just says, you're dead to me. That's <laughs> all it does. <laughs> so you have to go to the extra step to make sure you're saving it as an office document, and then you may not be saving what's on your screen when you do that. Yeah. We had a funny thing. You know, we use uh, PDF Creator a lot. You know, the the, the SourceForge open, the, the main one, the the, the the big daddy of them, uh, and it's talking about PD, uh, publisher not playing nice. There are certain times when you print a, P, a publisher document that's saved in publisher format to a PDF using PDF Creator that it will randomly take letters out of words. Nice. <laughs> and, wow. And the attempt to like figure out the spacing on the letters, it'll just squish one of them right out of there, and you'll see the word celebrate. And it'll be C E L E. Oh, that B didn't really fit. R A T E. I had that happen to me a couple of years ago, and and it makes you look came, like an idiot, right? Yeah, he's like, Aaron, did you prove you need to run spell check on this document? I said I ran spell check on the document. Well, it it's missed a couple of words. I'm like, what are you talking about? I went back. My document's fine. I said I, I've double checked it again. I did it. I PDF creator again just to make sure. Sent it to him, and then uh. Same thing, no problem. I was like, "What?" Same, and so anyway, finally, I pulled up the PDF and looked at it, and sure enough, they were missing in the PDF. Huh? That's crazy. And at this point, folks, I feel the need to mention we like Linux. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> we, use it every day. We've been kind of dogging on it here, uh, but I think what we've the conclusion we've come to is um, you still, if you want to take it to work. You're going to have to have a Windows machine right there beside you, too, or your, you know, whatever it is that your system uses. It's most likely Windows. Um, my co-host on the Taiwan Tech, Sean, his, his sister is in the TV business, uh, and she does, she, uh, does sporting events. She's in the truck, you know, uh, covering, uh, baseball games, football games, that sort of stuff. And she says that everybody has two computers. They have their Mac that they do their editing and all that stuff on, and then they have the Windows machine that they do their, their, corporate stuff on and that seems to be at this point that's the state of it you're gonna gonna be able to take your desktop to work chris you do that right you have a linux desktop at work um yep. do you have these kind of experience that we're talking about do you have to uh touch a windows machine once in a while uh to do what you need to do well more yeah most of the time i do um there i do 90 as well as much as i can do i do through the linux machine and i do through network shares and everything else and then there are times when you just absolutely have to have a windows box in order to do something with say group policy so in order to edit a group policy you have to have the group policy editor which is a windows only tool right that's what rdp's for for me right. i mean that's all i use it for i i remote desktop to the to the main server, edit the policies, and that's it. And interestingly, I'm finding that same experience uh, as I've, I'm always a, a version or two ahead. I try to be on my desktop at work. I've been using Windows 7 for a couple of years now. We just now rolled out Windows 7 to everybody else. But I had that same experience. Sometimes I had to go back to an XP box to do what I, need, what I needed to do. So it's not even just Linux and Windows. It can be you don't have the right version of Windows. <laughs> 
So really, it's it's Windows that sucks here. Let's let's not forget that. Well, it's Windows that makes things difficult. Yeah. Okay. In general. Well, the problem is they're they're the eight hundred pound gorilla and they dictate to everybody else. Right. Well, um, the uh, guy that I use to do T-shirts for my races that I'm promoting, my new T-shirt guy. You know, I went stopped by to pick up a, a an extra print because we we actually had more people show up at the last race than we planned on. We ran out of shirts, and so we go in there, and sure enough, he's got he's got a Mac that he does his vectoring of graphics and stuff on, and then he's got two Windows PCs that he does all his business management on. And this is what he said that you know emailing and website and all that. And this is what he says to me: Maybe we can trade out some work. You can help me get all these network together. <laughs> like, Yay! Fun. <gasps> and did so, you say that's probably not worth what I would get in return for it? Yeah, I was like, well, we'll see what I can do. I'll be glad to. <laughs> Let's put them all on Linux. That's what I told him. <laughs> <sighs> all right, so any other thoughts, guys, just uh, uh, structured or random about taking Linux to work? I think we Don't be do afraid of up. wine. Don't, say again, Chris? Don't be afraid of wine. Yeah, you know, get, get a little drunk at work. I, I agree, yeah. getting a little drunk helps. <laughs> But uh, the Windows emulation, the Windows Wine is not Windows emulation or whatever this yeah, stands wine for. Wine is not an emulator. Yeah. yeah. Um, try it. You know, your proprietary software just might work through it. I know a lot of times, I know Office doesn't work through it right now, but I know some of the versions of AutoCAD do, and so do some of the versions of Photoshop. So, you know, if if push comes to shove and you, you don't want to jump from your Linux box, try Wine. Uh, wine is good. Uh, the beer is better. The, <laughs> the commercialized takeoffs on wine, like Crossover Office, for example, are better. Uh, you can yeah. get Windows uh, Office 2010 working perfectly, including uh, Outlook, from what I understand, using Crossover Office, which they've taken huh. the wine code and 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 souped it up. But that's not free. You're going to pay fifty, sixty bucks for that. But if it's something you need, um, then then that's generally worth the effort. No, it's a lot cheaper than buying a brand new machine to run your Office 2010. Right. Now, yeah. what I what I frequently do is run a VM um, with my with one with XP and one with Linux on my Windows 7 desktop to do things that Windows 7 can't do. Now, I understand I'm in the you know probably top five percent of geeks in the world. Not everybody's going to do that, but uh, that is an option. Yeah. Not all of us get free laptops, though, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? I'd set my desktop at work. <laughs> oh, my laptop's a couple years old now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could run two at the same time. My laptop cost underneath. My laptop costs two hundred seventy nine dollars. <laughs> See, brand new. We're cheapskates. We're cheapskates here. <laughs> I've just given you the option right there. I'm just yeah. saying, yeah, and that's true. Uh, you know, running. I was. I was actually just about to say that you got to have the resources to run to. Two VMs and a physical machine. If you're going to do that, but uh, um, on my, you know, when I'm slumming it, when I'm only using like a, a dual core instead of a, a multi core, um, I can suspend one of those and, and do what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And just for the record, the laptop, the the la- the free laptop I have is probably the crappiest one I own. the The good one is the one I paid for. So just no. put that out there. So to sum it up, I think. From the noob perspective, don't try it. <laughs> I, I don't know that I would say I don't kidding. try it. I, just I'm don't just expect great things if you do. Right. It's not definitely not ready. This is not a situation where you want to go into your your IT administrator and say, "Hey, let's we really need to push Linux desktops across the enterprise yeah. over the next three weeks." <laughs> I, I look at it as just keeping your expectations real. Uh, don't yeah. don't think real low. Yeah, well, don't think it's going to solve all your problems. Uh, <laughs> it will solve some of your problems. It will create some other problems. But I would hazard a guess that if you spent the money to do everything you needed to do uh, to make a Linux machine work in Windows, you're still going to spend less than you would have if you had bought a Windows machine and Windows licenses. Right. But it may not be a lot less. <laughs> Depends on your bandwidth. Exactly. How much so in your pocketbook? All right, Chris. What is our command line of the week? Well, last week I teased a little bit and said that uh, I would tell you what Top was good for when it comes to killing things. He's got no underwear. He's taking his pants off. Now he's teasing. I'm, whoop, whoop. I don't like the direction this show is going. 
So, it's but this the week end I'm of the world as we know it. <laughs> wow, well, wait a minute now, guys. It's not that bad. But anyway, <laughs> um, like I was saying uh, uh, last week, I, I was talking about how Top is good for telling you what programs are using up all your resources and what PID number they are, program identification number. Um, kill is a program that will then kill a runaway program if you can't. Find, you know, if you can't use the uh, some of the shortcuts to kill programs locally, um, it, there's a ton of different ways to do them. Uh, usually, you can just type kill and then the the PID number and kill the program, and it works pretty slick. And by there the way, the other- command works almost identically in Windows, so the kill command is there too. It's, it helps. It's double your money, double your tip. <laughs> Aaron, do you have a noob discovery for us this week? Well, I discovered a lot during this show, Mark. Um, <laughs> I, I won't even go there. But uh, the the noob discovery I learned this week is that Sean Kybel got an Android phone. <laughs> okay. And it's a Nexus. And it's not quite as shiny as yours, but it works just as pretty much the same. So basically, I got nothing. Okay. I've, I've been camping all weekend, and I didn't do my homework. And I apologize to all of our listeners. <laughs> I bet you're going to yeah, use I that feel, same excuse next week, aren't you? I feel, yeah, probably. I feel better <laughs> confessing it now. I, that was a big sigh of relief you just heard. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, this has been an interesting discussion, at least I think. Uh, those I did. Of, I enjoyed it. Those of you in the audience who aren't asleep, and I hope if you're driving, you're among those. Um, uh, I hope you found it interesting as well. Uh, and if you'd like to continue the discussion, the way to do that would be to uh, go to our website at elementop.com, hop in the forums and make a post there, and uh, continue the discussion and and tell us where we're wrong and and how Chris should keep his pants on and you know whatever. Uh, that's a good place to, to post that. If you want to send us an email, you can do that. Also, edl at elementop.com. Or if you want to find out uh, what we're up to on the Twitters, you can do that at twitter.com slash elementop, and there's an Everyday Linux list there, and you'll see uh, posts that, that the individual hosts make on Twitter. Uh, not necessarily anything show-related, uh, but just uh, a slice of our personal lives. And, you know, as we've seen, Chris can get pretty personal sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with that, if and, and find out if I'm actually wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, well, again, I'm not sure I want to know. There's only one way that can be good. Um and the other one I don't want to know. Right. <laughs> this is a, this is a win lose this is a lose lose situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, if there's no more salient comments, I think I will just end us there uh, and say that wraps up this episode of Everyday Linux. Mm-hmm.